0: Greetings in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, amen. As always, welcome to the Power Hour. Our hope and our prayer as the preachers in this place is that you may receive the word of the Lord where you are so that you can end up where God wants you to be. As I always say, when I preach, I want you to experience two things. Either you leave with a greater understanding of the word of the Lord or you leave with something that can transform your life. If you can have both, God be praised. But if it's one, let the Holy Spirit do his thing. As my custom is, please turn to your neighbors and say to them, God loves you and so do I. No, 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 no. Here's here's what's not going to happen. I don't know what kind of a week you had. I sympathize. I get it. It's tough. It's annoying. And the devil is on you. But for the next hour, that's not how long I'm going to preach. But for the next hour, can you be in the presence of the Lord for a moment and turn to somebody and say to them, God loves you and so do I. God loves you and so do I. Turn to somebody and say to them, what's happening? Oh, you want to say to me? Because nobody's saying it to each other. Oh, I see. Thank you, man. I appreciate you. I appreciate you. Because what happens is, people become tense because of the week. And so when you come into God's house, you're hoping the preacher gets you out of that. But really, when you talk to your neighbor, it can do something to you. We are continuing with the series this morning. If you can hear me at the back, just raise your hand. I'm not sure what's going on with the mic. You can hear me. Awesome. We're continuing with the series that began last month. This is the final month, and I'm doing the... Final, my final part in the series, Outliers. We don't want you to be regular, but we want you to be an outlier. The kind of person that God can use in other people's lives. The kind of person that has such an impact that you are remembered, not for the things you had, but for the character and personality and being that you were. Each sermon is geared at attacking one idea that keeps you regular. And so today's message is no different. Somebody looked at the title and said, Pastor, why are you using the same title from last week for today's sermon? No, that's not what's happening. Last week, the title was The Traveler's Guide to the Times, the Seasons of Your Life. This moment where we are, the things that are happening around us and why we should pay attention, those are the times. But when I say the traveler's guide to time, I'm talking about your life. What do you do with the 24 hours that you have? What do you do with the three score and ten that God has given you? What do you do with this between the cradle and the grave moment that you have? That's what today's message is about. Who better to talk to us about time than Solomon himself? There are three books in the Bible that are attributed to Solomon. The book of Proverbs, Songs of Solomon, and Ecclesiastes. There's debate as to whether he wrote Ecclesiastes or not. We are told that it's the son of David. We are told in in instances in the book where it sounds like somebody who had enough power to be a king. And so the general assumption is that Solomon wrote the book of Ecclesiastes. We all know that Solomon is considered the wisest man to ever live. We all know that Solomon was beyond wealthy. Some commentators and historians have calculated that Solomon's wealth was up there in the $2 trillion range. I tried to convert that into rupee, then I stopped. That was way too many zeros and I could figure out. But that's how wealthy Solomon was. Any type of life, Solomon lived it. He pretended to be poor. He was very wealthy. He rubbed shoulders with shepherd girls and shepherd boys, and he rubbed shoulders with kings and queens from nations around the world. Solomon obviously could speak more than one language. Because if you're going to marry to 700 women, you better know more than one language. Solomon was a traveler. He was a man of influence. Solomon didn't have to trade goods with other nations. He just had to open his mouth and gold would fall at his feet. Solomon was a man whose wisdom had allowed him to experience everything. When a man that powerful, that wise, that influential is at the point at the end of his life, if he is to sit down and write his autobiography or a memoir about his life, You would expect him to to produce something like Stephen Dawkins' The History of Time or The Theory of Everything. You would expect him to produce a 10,000-page volume about the essence of life from the mind of a wise man. But instead, in the book of Ecclesiastes, what we have is journal entries of an old man that is reflecting on the life that he has lived. Solomon doesn't brag in this book. Solomon doesn't uh, uh, talk about how much wisdom he had or how much experience the world had given him. No, Solomon simply distills his experiences to the meaning of life. One preacher divides the book of Ecclesiastes into three sections. Let me see if I can remember. Chapter 1 to chapter 4, he is talking about the search. The search for meaning in the context of time that we have. He uses two expressions over and over again. The first one is vanity. Some versions uh, translate the word vanity to mean uh, meaningless but really it's not the most perfect translation because the word vanity doesn't necessarily mean meaninglessness. It means uh, 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 a vapor, something that's there but passes away, something that is but doesn't last. It's vanity. You can touch it, you can feel it, but eventually it means nothing. It means nothing. And the other expression is under the sun. He distills his wisdom in the context of everyday life. I don't know about you, but uh, now and again, I like to go on YouTube and type out some famous person's name. And then I put a day in the life of Bill Gates or a day in the life of Jeff Bezos. Because I'm interested to know how do they spend their day. If you had done the same back then, if social media existed and YouTube videos and cameramen followed influential people, what would a day in the life of Solomon have looked like? First section, the search and the meaning of life. Second section, verses uh, chapter 5 to chapter 10, Solomon talks about sayings. He is using uh, short sentences, short statements to describe the essence of life without God. And he spends his time saying these magnificent things. And then to end the book, we have what I call, or what the preacher calls, the solution. What is the solution to the meaning of life? What is the solution to the meaninglessness, as it were, of our existence? Our sermon today is going to be focused on the third section. I want to focus on the solution. If you're with me so far, let me hear you say yes. Solomon, in his book, covers four ideas that all of us face when we wake up in the morning. Number one, he focuses on the monotony of life, that the sun comes up, the moon comes out, the sun goes down. He focuses on the fact that you wake up, you dress up, you go to work, you go to school, you come home, you go to bed, you wake up the next day, and you repeat the process. Every day, same routine. The monotony is so real that I even included a statistic that bothered me, that every day at least 385,000 people are born. But every day, uh, 165,000 people die. People are born and people die every day. Same thing all the time. Along the way, you may get married, you may have children, you may get a prize for winning something, you get a promotion, a good job, some money, a house, a car, but all of that is meaningless because at the end of the day, it's the same routine, the same thing you're chasing after, the monotony of life. Solomon also talks about the emptiness of life that there's a big hole in the human heart that money cannot fill, that uh, houses cannot fill, that position and power cannot fill. They may make you happy for a season. Oh, yeah, somebody said money doesn't buy happiness, but it comes real close. It will get you things that other people can't get. Somebody said to me, oh, uh, Bill Gates has 24 hours and so do you. But let's be honest, Bill Gates' 24 hours are not like mine. They're not the same. But there's an emptiness of life that we cannot deny. Solomon goes even further to describe the morbidity uh, of life. He talks about uncertainty, that you can plan and plan and put to paper and put on your phone, put reminders and give yourself a 10-year goal for your business or your life and then a pandemic hits. You can plan to have three or four children, then cancer hits. You can plan all these things, but all of a sudden, poof, it's gone. You lost the job. You lost the child. You lost the partner. You lost the business. You lost everything. And you're thinking to yourself, why do I exist? And just when you think it's bad, he throws in a zinger. The certainty of death. After all of that, the moment you're born, you're dying, you're living, you're living, you're getting old. All of a sudden, everything that was north is now going south. And eventually, you're in the box and in the grave. Can you imagine if Solomon had stopped the book right there? with the expressions that you have on your faces right now and just left it hanging but I praise the Lord that Solomon didn't stop there yes we do some of you are nodding your heads because you're thinking pastor that's exactly how my life feels I feel like it's a it's a cycle of of the same thing over and over again I'm in church I'm at the office I'm with the kids I'm in zombie mode at dinner I'm celebrating birthdays but I'm not really celebrating life I'm getting a promotion at the job, but my life is not improving. I'm getting all these things, but something's missing. A day in the life of Solomon looks like this. When you read the middle section of his book, Solomon says, I decided I wanted to go all out with my life. I'm rich. I'm smart enough. I got power. Let me do it. And so a day in the life would look like this. Solomon wakes up in the morning and decides, what do I want to study today? I want to study astronomy. So I'm going to do that. Solomon studied everything under the sun and he realized that knowledge can do it. Then in the same book, it says he decided, "Okay, I'm going to go to the most expensive vineyards and drink the most expensive wine. He drinks and he says, uh, uh, my foolishness increased while my wisdom decreased. He was getting high, but that wasn't doing it. And so he put the bottle down. And then he looked at all the sisters around the world and he said, okay, let me go through all the women I can. And he did that and it wasn't enough. He said, let me get all the money, all the diamonds, all the gold. It all came, but it felt like nothing. Something was still missing in his life. He looked at his life and he looked at the poor man and he realized, huh, one day we're both going to die. What should I do with my life? C.S. Lewis has something remarkable to say that I believe summarizes that whole experience I just read. Somebody else looks at those things and thinks that's negative. But no, it's not. Uh, C.S. Lewis says, if you find, if we find ourselves with a desire that nothing this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that we are not made for this world. We are made for another world. Do you understand that God didn't want you to be comfortable down here? If God wanted us to be comfortable, he could have made it easy to access diamonds in the ground. God could have made it so that each and every person wins the lottery. God could have made it possible that everybody marries the girl of their dreams or the man of their dreams and has the job of their dreams and you have everything. But here's the problem. If you have everything in the context of a dying world, it adds up to nothing because death is still coming. If you're with me, just just say yes. I love your silence. I love your your, your blank stares because I'm trying to describe the way you see your life right now. But C.S. Lewis is reminding us that the reason you feel like that is simple. It's not because you are useless. It's not because you're not special. It's not because God doesn't love you. It's because we don't belong here. This is not the home that God intended for us. What God got intended for us was marred by Adam. We have lost the image of God. We We are less than the likeness that he intended for us. And so until he comes again, that is what life is going to feel like. And that's what Solomon was saying. I speak to young people that are complaining that their parents are keeping them in a box. That they're not allowing them to live the lives they want to. And I say to them, listen, there's something your parents know that you don't. They've lived the crazy life in their context. They they may not have had TikTok. They may not have had Twitter, but they had their own version of it. They had their own stresses and own challenges and their own temptations. And so they understand that if you go in this direction, nothing but vanity and, 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 and sadness awaits you. And so this is an old man talking to us today. Again, I thank God that he didn't stop with the bad stuff, but he gave us something good. Let's get into the text of scripture. This is going to be a short sermon, but I hope it's going to reach out to somebody because I think I talked to you ear off last week and I want to get it done quicker today. Get your Bibles out. Ecclesiastes chapter 11. We're going to read from verse number one to verse number five. So how, how do I live my life? How do I travel? What's the guide to dealing with my time? My answer is I don't know. I don't know what kind of a job you should be doing that can make you happy. I don't know who you should spend the rest of your life with that will fulfill you to the point that you're willing to see death because you've been satisfied by what they've given you. I don't know how much money you should have. I don't know what hobbies you should pick up to be happy with your life. But what I do know is, what I'm about to read is your best response uh, to what life throws at you. Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verses 1 to verse number 5. This is what an old preacher says. I love this book because Solomon doesn't identify himself as a king. He is identified as Koheleth, which means the preacher. Ecclesiastes is the Greek word for gathering, for being together. But really, this is not a king speaking. This is not some playboy, some, some, some wise man. This is a preacher who's speaking from his life experiences. And when he's given the solution, this is what he says. Send your grain across the seas. And in time, profits will flow back to you. But divide your investments among many places, for you don't know what risks might lie ahead. When clouds are heavy, the rains come down. Whether a tree falls north or south, it stays where it falls. Verse number four, Farmers who wait for the perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. And finally, verse number five, just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, you cannot understand the activity of God who does all things. I read that and for the, for the first part, I was like, what is Solomon talking about? Clouds and trees and farmers. What is, what does, how is this the answer to the monotony, the emptiness, the uncertainty of life? But as you get deeper into it, you begin to extract what he's trying to say. Another statement I want to read to you is up on the screen. It says, Life should not be a journey to the grave with the intention of arriving safely in a pretty and well preserved body. That's half the statement. The right of that statement is saying, Stop coming into this world and wanting to look pretty and handsome. And as if you got it together. So that when life is over, you can say, my life was perfect. That's not a life worth living. That's not a life worth living. So what kind of a life should we leave uh, 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 behind? This is what Hunter Thompson says. But rather, you must skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly used up, totally worn out, and loudly proclaiming, whoa, what a ride. Don't play it safe. Go to places you've never been. Do things that you have never done. Get out of your comfort zone. Be the person that lives by faith and not by what they see in front of them. Obviously, that can also mean do, uh, live a reckless life. But the point is, stop trying to stay between the lines and just playing it safe and boring and regular. Sometimes you've got to close your eyes, push down the accelerator and see what happens that's how a believer lives because if you try to play it safe you are unhappy and you are sad the greatest regrets of old people is not the bad things they've done it's the things they never got to do the things we don't do those are the things that haunt us day in and day out people who have been diagnosed with a deadly disease all of a sudden they're going to the amusement park they're eating their favorite ice cream they're going on walks by the beach they're doing all these things that are joyful why because they're about to die why do you need to wait for a terrible diagnosis to start living? Ecclesiastes chapter 11, verse 1 to 5, in my opinion, is Solomon's answer to your boring, boring life. How do you live from day to day? First of all, I'm going to use uh, uh, five words that I hope you understand and you get what you need where you are right now. So that you can become an outlier. Word number one, learn to deploy. Deploy learn to deploy. What is it to deploy? When nations send their soldiers out to battle, they are deploying them for a service or a mission. When companies deploy their funds to invest in something, they are putting out into the world and hoping something comes back. When parents send their children out to study, brother Jeff, when you send your son to study overseas, you're not doing it because you're getting rid of him. At least that's what I hope. You're not trying to send him as far as possible. You are sending him so that he gets something that will add value to his life and make your life make sense. To deploy is to send something out so that it brings something back. Most people don't deploy anything, including themselves. Listen to the text. Listen to the text. Let me go back. Send your grain across the seas. Now, the King James is a version that, use, that is used as a song. Does anybody know the song? keep on casting your bread upon the waters and soon they shall come back to you. Nobody knows that song? Wow. Okay. Okay. The interpretation that most people, I'm not going to do that because that is emptiness right there. The song says, or the verse says, cast your bread on the waters and soon it will come back to you tenfold or more and the interpretation that most people have applied is that of generosity that if you give it will come back to you here's the problem that interpretation is not as close to what solomon was trying to say but part of deploying is giving they say the time that you donate is the time that comes back to you the things you give come back tenfold Somebody said, our destinies make us brothers. Nobody lives his life alone. All that you send into the lives of others comes back into your own. And it all happens in the context of time. But my understanding of the text is in the concept of investing within the time you have. When you pay for an education, that's an investment. When you go on dates and you pay for dinners, Pastor Henry, when you say, now, girl, it's cool, I got you, that's an investment. When you go to the office and you slave from 9 to 5 and you work overtime, you're not doing that for free. That's an investment. When you buy stocks and you buy commodities, you're not giving your money away to companies. That's an investment. So Solomon, being a genius, has a financial mindset. He's saying, listen, if you want your life to mean something, learn to invest. Throw something out there, give it time, and it will come back again. Because he understood the things you hold on to don't have value. It's the things you let go of that come back great and awesome and with value. So that's deploying. The second one is in the second text, but divide your investments. See, Solomon is also smart because he knows if you put all your eggs in one basket, if something happens to that basket, you're in trouble. So he understands that while you invest in your time, while you invest your gifts, and while you invest your resources and your power and influence, don't forget to diversify. Don't do in one place. Make sure you are diversified in many places. Why? Because you don't know what risks might lie ahead. Does anybody here know that it is risky to wake up in the morning and leave your home? No. No. That's not even the risk itself. It's risky to take a drink of water from a bottle that was manufactured by a company. Do you know that more people die from tripping and falling than from flying? Every year, people are dying, just tripping, Oop, boom, head down, dead. Life itself is a risk. Now, you can play it safe and stay home. Uh, I'm trying to remember the, the word. Yes, we have an expert in the building. What is the... What is the term used to describe people that don't want to leave their home? They just want to stay indoors. They are afraid to go outside. Agoraphobia, that's the word. You can try that, but that's not going to help you. That's not how you live. You got to get out. You got to do something. Now you're thinking, but pastor, why are you saying this? We are here in church. We go to work. But here's the problem. Most of you are not risking enough. You're not risking enough. You're playing it safe. And that's why you feel like your life hasn't got any meaning. People who give are happier than people who hold. People who say, you know what? God has given me a lot. I want to pour in other people's lives. Those are the people that live with meaning. So Solomon is saying, listen, invest in a lot of things. But please, please understand there's a difference between sending your grain and throwing it away. Those are not the same thing. A lot of you are taking unnecessary risk." Not calculated risk. Pastor, you said I should risk, so I'm just going to blindly go out there and just make any decision about my life. I'm going to invite everybody. I'm going to invite anyone Tom, Dick, and Harry, Susan, Sally, and Samantha. All of them just come into my life. Let's see what happens. That is not investing. That is throwing away what God has given you. Amen, somebody. So diversify. Diversify. All of life is risky. The question is, what risks are you willing to take? Everything is a risk. When you leave one job to go to another, you don't know if that company is still going to be open. When you leave school, there's no guarantee that there's a job waiting for you out there. When you throw your money into the the economy, don't expect it to come back. It doesn't work like that. But here's the thing. If you don't do it, you are guaranteed to not get anything back. So you diversify. You invest in different areas of your life. For the sake of a young person in the room, what are you talking about exactly, Pastor? Let me help you. If you're going to diversify, these are the three areas that all of us should invest in or diversify in. Number one, people. Stop hanging out with the same type of people day in and day out. If you're broke and they're broke, maybe it's time to be somebody who's not broke so they can help you save money. If they are bad at relationships and they're advising you, We're going to talk about relationships in January, so I'm going to leave that one alone. If you are hanging out with people that don't enhance your career, if you're hanging out with crabs, crabs in a barrel, the kind of people that pull you back in when you're trying to get out, you're not diversified enough. Have at least five people in your life that contribute spiritually, socially, economically, psychologically. People who invest in you as much as you invest in them. But if you're hanging out with the same losers as you are, your life will never amount to anything. Amen, somebody. Diversify your experiences. Aren't you tired of going to the office, going home, going to the same restaurant, eating the same food? Don't you, aren't you embarrassed when you get to a restaurant and they look at you and say, Oh, uh, Mr. Thomas, same as last week? Yes, same as last week. Aren't you embarrassed when they do that? For the first three years when I came to this country, when I would call Pizza Hut at one in the morning, they would say to me, oh, Sam, same order. Yes, uh, tuna melt, one liter of uh, Fanta, uh, 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 pepperoni pizza, and fries. They knew that was my order. That was terrible. That was, that was bad. Skills. What skills don't you have today? We live in a generation, and Pastor, we, we covered this in a podcast episode, that all the young people were in school today, by the time you go into the job market, the jobs you will do, 85% of them haven't even been invented yet. Old people are having to study on social media marketing. People who've never touched a computer are having to figure out, how can I use Instagram to grow my business? So you've got to learn new skills, otherwise your life will feel like it's going nowhere. By the way, uh, this is not a seminar on how to improve your life. This is about spirituality. Spirituality. Hang out with people that enhance your spiritual experience. Ask yourself, Lord, what is it that I haven't experienced in your vineyard today? Am I just a guest in churches or am I somebody that contributes? What spiritual gifts do you need to tap into? Solomon is saying, live your best life in the context of what God has given you and all of that meaninglessness will disappear. Okay. This is the one I had to spend time on and try to figure out what is Brother Solomon saying here. When clouds are heavy the rains come down. When a tree falls to the north or the south, it stays where it falls. Solomon is basically saying there are some things in life you don't have control over. Okay? Humanity has been trying to control the clouds for a long time. They've succeeded in in seeding. You know, it's interesting that there's more moisture in the atmosphere than there is on the earth. And that's God's way of telling you that I'm in charge of all of it. So when it rains, you didn't do it. When a tree falls, all you can do is go stand by the side of that tree and be like, Huh, it happened, it fell down. There's nothing you can do about it. Your assignment in life is not to figure out there's a quote, I put it in the wrong place. Your assignment is life, is not to complain about the detours that come, because life's a journey. And sometimes it's not a straight road. Sometimes there's a sign at the end of the, the road that says, The road is closed. You got to take a detour. So, Pastor, how do I prepare myself for detours? It's simple. Make sure you got a full tank of gas. Make sure you have a map or some GPS device. Make sure you have a spare tire and just wait to see what life comes at you. But if you go through life empty with no hope, no faith, no people to support you, no life goals, no skills, What do you think life is going to do do to you when things go bad? A lot of people were tested during the pandemic because they were so used to skating by with mediocrity, just going with the little bit of skills they had until the company said, we are firing 55% of the workforce, the non-essentials. And all of a sudden, people started working harder. It's too late. Somebody else was more prepared than you were because the tree fell. Nobody could do anything about it, but it happened. Listen, don't focus on the trees that fall. Focus on the trees you can cut down. I'm sorry, uh, to the millennials, that sounds really bad because y'all want us to plant trees and not cut them down. So let me change that. Don't focus on the trees that have fallen down. Focus on the trees you can plant. Amen, somebody. Stop focusing on things that have fallen apart in your life. Focus on the things that you can raise up. There's nothing you can do about it. Spilt milk is in the sand, it's over, it's done, let it go. If you spend your time trying to figure out uh, how fast was the wind when it hit this tree? Was it lightning? Was it a storm? Was I at home? Was I eating a sandwich or was I eating rice when it happened? It doesn't matter. It's down. Focus on the things you can control. Focus on the things you can control. Focus on the things you can control. Because that is what matters at the end of the day. Amen, somebody. Farmers who wait for perfect weather never plant. If they watch every cloud, they never harvest. Do you know what the problem is with being a cloud watcher? You develop cloudy judgment. You know why? Your inability to decide anything. Your life is spent scrutinizing everything. She's too short. She's too short. She talks too much. She doesn't talk enough. She's smart. She's dumb. She's the wrong religion. She's too much of a religious person. She's too rich. She's too poor. She's too this. She's too that. She's too dark. She's too skinny. She's too light. She's everything. Pastor, he, he's got a good voice, but there's something about him. I, I can't really tell what it is, but I don't think he's the right person. What's wrong with him? I, I don't know. It's just my intuition is telling me he's not the right person. Pastor, I prayed for the job. I got it. But my boss, the, the way he gives me advice, it's, it's not the way I want to hear advice. I want to be encouraged before I'm corrected. We go through life looking at the clouds, but we forget. At some point, you're going to have to plan something. You're going to have to do something. Because what happens is, one day, the options will be gone. So yes, Solomon messed up when he lived crazy. But at least he lived crazy. You are living lazy. You are not an outlier. You are just a liar. Jesus, I believe in you. Do you? Just as you cannot understand the path of the wind or the mystery of a tiny baby growing in its mother's womb, nobody can control that. You, you can't even begin to fathom where the wind begins and where it ends. We can study geography and the shape of the earth and, and, the, and the moving of the seasons and the tilting of it. We can do that, but we don't understand it. We can talk about the birth of a child. We can talk about the trimesters that a woman goes through. We can describe the the transition from the the birth pains to the birth of the child. We can uh, take over the birth process through C-section. But at the end of the day, we cannot explain how a cell becomes a baby, becomes a life. You can't do that. So how is it that you're trying to figure out everything else? The text says, you cannot understand the activity of God. Here's the positive. God is always doing something, even if you don't understand. Sometimes you think your prayers are are influencing God to do something, but you don't realize he has already started. You think nothing's happening because you can't see the progress. Some of us, our prayer lives are like going to the gym or watching a tree grow. After week number one, we're standing in front of the mirror. We're trying to see if there's anything different. You jump on the scale on week one, you're 95 kgs. You jump on the scale after a month, you're 96. You're like, what happened? That's how life is. You can't track it day by day. But if you're patient and you're waiting upon the Lord, you'll begin to notice some changes. He wasn't good to you in the first year of marriage. But all of a sudden, not only is he opening doors, he's washing the dishes and he's waiting for you in the morning with a rose in his mouth. Fellas, don't do that. They'll expect that every day. But he's a better man now. Just give him time. Give her time. Parents, give your children time waywardness is the is the name of the game solomon says young people go sow your wild oats do everything crazy under the sun but remember your creator in the days of your youth so parents be patient on your children you may not understand where it's coming from but pastor i took them to church every day i took them to the most expensive schools don't worry train up a child in the way they should go and one day they'll come back again amen somebody too many parents are sad and don't eat and their weight and their health is terrible because they're worried about their children put your children in god's hands then walk away in fact the moment they turn 18 or 19 tell yourself i no longer have a child what i have is an adult that needs to leave home you've done your part we don't know what god is doing half the time god doesn't explain himself In fact, God doesn't come when you want him to, but he's always on time. God doesn't give you what you want, but he gives you what you need. He may not be tall, dark, and handsome, but he's okay just for you. Only the guy said amen. Uh, I'm praying for you, my brother. She'll, She'll get it. She'll get it. And finally, devotion. Devotion. One of the most powerful statements I ever read regarding devotion is by elizabeth gilbert she's an amazing author if you can find the books get them her her perspective on the god relationship with man is beautiful but anyway she says devotion is diligent diligence without assurance see a lot of us we want to devote to the lord when things are working out we're happy in the house of god when our prayers have been answered but that's not devotion devotion is when things are upside down but you're still willing to come before god lord i don't understand what you're doing i don't understand what i'm going through i don't even know if i deserve to be going through this but you are god and that's all that matters that's devotion Solomon is saying, sometimes it will be raining, sometimes it will be sunny. Sometimes you're up on the mountaintop, sometimes you're in the valley. Sometimes there's life, there's death. Sometimes there's music, sometimes there's silence. Sometimes there's joy, sometimes there's sadness. It don't matter. Be consistent in your devotion to God. And with that, life will begin to make sense. Life is not about what happens to you, it's what you do with it. And so Solomon is saying, your ignorance is a powerful tool in your worship of God. I know. It sounds good to say it. It's another thing to go through it. But Solomon says, what other option do you have? One more statement, and I'm done. If you look at the world, you'll be very distressed. Ever scroll the news? I get BBC updates every morning. And I promise you for 365 days, I'm yet to get something positive on my notifications. Every day is something. Somebody stabbed kids. A woman and a mother. And got shot by the police. Some bomb fell in Kiev or some part of Russia. Somebody stole money from, billions of, from millions of people. And left people without their pension money. Somebody did this or somebody did that. This is the world we live in. So the person is saying. If you look at the world you'll be distressed. And then some people say. The answer is within you. The power lies within you. But here's the problem. If you look within, you get depressed. Because when you look inside, all you hear is an echo of your former self. All you hear are your failures. All you hear are your disappointments. All you can think of are the people that hurt you over and over and over again. So don't look within because you're going to get depressed. And he says, what you should do, don't look around, don't look within, look up to God. I know, I know it sounds cliche, I get it. But here's the thing. Belief is a powerful force in getting you out of the state of thinking, I am either the answer or I am the problem. When you look at God, you can be at rest. Look at some of the prayers that some of the most powerful people in the Bible offered. Look at David's prayer. David surrendered. Lord, please don't let your spirit leave me. Jehoshaphat prayed, Lord, our eyes are upon you. Nehemiah prayed. Lord, this is your project. You see to it. These men and women had an ability to surrender their lives to God. They were kings. They were cupbearers. They were shepherds. They were prophets. They were husbands. They were wives. They were teachers. They were students. They were everything you are. But the difference is, they understood. The answer is not on me. It's not on me. I see the posts that you people uh, post online about your internal processing. The words that you use describe the sadness that drives your life and I'm saying that's not it that's not it heads bowed eyes closed I want the sermon to be as brief as Solomon's words to the people of his time I know that sometimes sermons sound cliche I know that sometimes they sound like sound bites to pass the time But I'm here to tell you that the reality is, life is as I've described to you at the beginning. So the things we cannot control, we should let go of and we should focus on the things we can. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Dear Lord, no matter how I have sounded through the sermon, I am very, very hopeful of what you can do in the lives of your people today. Each and every one of us have a story to tell about how bad things are we can compete and list them one to ten from the least to the greatest but at the end of the day as card holding members of this human race as long as we live on this side of eternity the reality is something good is going to happen something bad is going to happen it doesn't matter whether we're good people or bad people The rain falls on the just and the unjust. And so the game changer is the attitude and the mindset with which we bring ourselves when we wake up in the morning. It may seem like a bias, but Solomon said all those things the parting, the humanizing, the businesses, the knowledge, the power. The influence, the presence, the ability to attract famous people from around the world, all of it meant nothing without God. And the reason it meant nothing or the evidence that it meant nothing is because you wanted more and more and more. There is somebody in here today that thinks that maybe if I get more of this, I'll be happy. Maybe if I get more of that, then my life will mean something. The problem is not getting more. The problem is trying to fill the emptiness with the more. Not once does Solomon say, don't work. Not once does Solomon say, don't get wealthy. That's not the problem. The problem is when the job, the wealth, the desires have you and not God. That's the problem. That's when life becomes meaningless. And so this morning, dear God, I'm praying to a room filled with different people at different experiences or paths of their life. Maybe they need to learn to deploy some stuff. Maybe they need to send something out into the world and wait for it to come back again. Maybe they need to diversify their their relationships, their skills, their experiences with you. Maybe somebody here, Lord, needs to start making decisions. Maybe they need to become able to look at their choices, no matter how difficult, and make a choice and be at peace with it. Or maybe... There's a devoted spirit that needs to flow in this place. None of this I've got it figured out. None of this self-righteousness. Oh no, Uh, 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 a surrendered devotion to the God of heaven. I pray, Heavenly Father, that we may give ourselves mind, body, and soul to a God who knows us better than we know ourselves. And finally, Lord... We are lost. Please find us. We are blind. Give us sight. We are weak. Be our strength. We are sinners. Be our savior. If this is your prayer today, let me hear you say amen. And amen. God bless you.